Good morning, Providence. So today we are going to begin a new series, just a short one, probably three weeks, on the providence of God. And I wanted to just uh, tell you how I arrived at at doing this. Um, Over the last four years, I've watched um, the Lord provide and, and answer prayers in multitudinous ways. Um, and I'm talking about um, our family, uh, even down to things as small as Heather asking the Lord to show her an eagle on a particular day, and that prayer was answered multiple times. God was pleased to answer that prayer many times, but at the same time as he's providing and answering prayers, I also watched the Lord bring medical challenges our way, also different challenges to the church. And that started me on a path several months ago, I'm going to say maybe back in January, of um, studying the providence of God. And um, without going into specifics, there, are, there was a parallel between the difficult times at church and Heather's health culminating uh, in the fact that my, that my wife died the, week, the first week that the conciliation firm was here. And so these things aren't by accident, are they? And um, so uh, that's how we are going to do this uh, um, series. I say three weeks, but you know how preachers are. Sometimes they go longer than that. But I do also want to be a little bit transparent with you um, so that you understand behavior and and know how to pray for me. And I I promise I'm going to quit bringing things around, but I do want to tell you this. As I said, uh, right after she died, you are my family. And if you believe the Bible, then the Bible teaches that my bond with you is closer than my own flesh and blood if they are not believers. And that is important for us to understand it. But um, that being said, um, Sunday is the most, it's the hardest day for me. It's the most miserable. It's the most full of sorrow in part because of my thoughts. And I know that and I know I need to change my thoughts, but knowing you need to change your thoughts and actually changing your thoughts are two totally different things. Um, for 35 years, uh, she sat right there, and uh, she's not. And um, here's the thought that I have that needs to change is, and you'll notice I don't sit through music. I cannot, music is absolutely unbearable for me right now, uh, as corporate music. And that's because if I'm in here, my thought immediately goes to, She's in heaven worshiping God, singing to God. And there is a chasm that cannot be crossed. I can't cross that chasm. And for 35 years, I worshiped with her, and now I can't. And that, that I understand that my, I need to change thoughts to being thankful that she's in heaven worshiping him. But it's too raw right now. And so therefore, Sunday mornings, um, I don't know how to say it any other way. It's, it's miserable. It's full of sorrow. That will change over time. I know that. But right now, that's where it is. That being said, also, I do want to say, I love this church. I love, I love you guys. The love and ministry that you've shown to us has been amazing. And when I was in Wisconsin, um, I told that the, the, my friends up there uh, a couple weeks ago, I said, we moved to... Culpepper thinking that we were going to minister to the church. But in reality, 
we moved to Culpeper and watched a church minister to us and now me. And God is amazing. And all these thoughts brought me around to the providence of God. I mean, how is it that God, we, I mean, what we did was opposite. We thought we were going to a church who lost their pastor to minister to them. But I've watched in, in the last four years, you guys see, I mean, who does that except the living God? And so I want us to worship God. One more thing, I'm suffering from brain fog. So the stuff that I bring, how I present it is from um, books I've studied and looking at the scriptures. It's not, uh, I don't want to take credit to say, yeah, I, I went through the whole Bible and searched all this out. That would not be the case at all. And I also want to say, please don't be offended if I ask your name. I'm really having trouble with names right now, even if I've known you for several months. So those things, that's the introduction. But um, this sermon today is going to be a little bit bookish, all right? Just a little bit. But um, it's going to help us get into the latter parts, the other parts of the sermon series. So hang on at the beginning, because this is going to get real good. Matter of fact, my goal by the end of this sermon, I want you to have questions that you can't figure out the answer to first. Two, I want you to be in awe of the God that we serve. And three, I want you to worship him. Is that good enough? And if I don't accomplish that, don't tell me, okay? So what I want to do today is define and describe providence and show the purpose of the providence of God. In the next two sermons, I want to... Um, show God's providence in everyday affairs of the world and our lives and what the Bible has to say about it. Needless to say, I think you're going to be astounded and I think you're going to be um, driven to worship the living God. Now let's begin by stating the obvious. Everybody knows this. God is infinite. Does anybody disagree with that? We are finite. Anybody disagree with that? Now, that means that God is incomprehensible. We can learn about him, but anything we learn about God is only scratching the surface. We will spend eternity learning about God and never learning everything about him because he is infinite, we are finite. Anybody that says, well, I got this, talking about knowledge about God, they're deceiving themselves. His incomprehensibility also means this. It means that when we study the Bible, there are certain truths about God that we cannot reconcile. And sometimes they even seem contradictory, but they are not. They only appear contradictory because we don't have enough understanding to resolve them in our minds. Now, this is important. I, I've had several people tease me and say, you haven't clapped your hands recently. All right, listen, this is important. Ready? We have to make sure that our thoughts about God are guided by Scripture and not by our opinions or popular beliefs. And I'll point those out while I'm preaching where people get confused. So please, in the next few weeks, allow your minds to be informed by Scripture because God is both surprising and exciting. He's both slightly understandable and incomprehensible and all put together that means that uh, we should be driven to worship him now let's begin with the question 
Is providence a biblical term? Just like the terms Trinity and incarnation, you will not find the word providence in the Bible. Okay? But all three of these terms, Trinity, incarnation, providence, they are terms that are taught everywhere in Scripture. You don't see the word, but they're taught everywhere. Providence is closely related to sovereignty. Now, God is sovereign over the universe. He created the world and is the king of the world. Did you ever play King of the Mountain? Yeah, well, he's king of the world. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over how much? All. That includes all the heavens. The vast universe. Consider this. He's the great king over the earth. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. He's, he's not up there worried about what's going on in Israel. He's not worried about the elections that we just had. He's sitting on his throne ruling the universe doing what he pleases. His kingship lasts forever. Nobody will usurp the Lord. The Lord sits on his throne, enthroned over the flood, and he's enthroned king forever. So, we've established what we already know, right? God is sovereign. Sovereignty means that he has the right and power to reign and to do all that he desires. And we understand and agree with that. So then that brings us to the question, what is providence? Now the word providence, or provide, I'm going to use the word provide, is a Latin, uh, from a Latin root, Pro, meaning before or forward. Vide, which means to see. So a wooden definition of providence is to see forward. We actually use an idiom very similar to that. We'll, see, we'll say, I'll see to it. Right? But providence or provide means to provide for. Providence means to provide for. So let's take our Bibles now, turn to Genesis 22, and I said that providence is all through Scripture. I'm going to start at the very beginning and give you one example, and then we're going to move on. Genesis 22, this is one of the earliest teachings in Scripture about God's providence. Now this story, and by the way, some of the Scripture will be on the screen, some of it won't. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles or in your phones to the Scripture so you can really look at them as we go through the sermon today. Um, this is a story about when God asked or told Abraham to go offer his only son Isaac on the altar at Mount Moriah. Now, if you don't know, where Abraham offered this is the current location of the Temple Mount. The Solomon's Temple was located on the point where Abraham offered Isaac his son on an altar. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's that's... I think that's a fascinating thing about scripture that, that scriptural history that we need to know. Now, if you remember the story, God told him to offer his son Isaac as an offering, so they grabbed the wood for the burnt offering, and they traveled to Mount Moriah. We pick up in verse number 7. Verse number 7, Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went together forward. Now skip down to verse number 14. 
when God did provide the actual lamb, verse number 14 says, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Now we often will, will stick like a Hebrewism in there, Jehovah Jireh. Everybody knows Jehovah Jireh, right? And we say Jehovah Jireh means God will provide. Well, here's the interesting thing. In this chapter, chapter 22, wherever you see the word provide, the Hebrew word means to see. The Lord will see. The Lord will see to it. So verse number 8 literally reads, God will see for himself a lamb. That's providence. That's he's seeing to it. So with that as kind of an introduction, the whole Bible's full of providence. What is providence exactly? Because I haven't really defined it, right? Well, since providence is taught in Scripture so early and so often, what is the providence of God? Well, let me give you, I, it's hard to beat the Westminster uh, Confession on what it says about this. It says this, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, and dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things. Now get this, from the greatest, even to when the deer runs out in front of your vehicle, to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge, with the free and immutable counsel of his own will. So God does whatever he wants. He governs the world from the biggest to the little thing. For what purpose? To the praise of the glory of what? His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, mercy. By the way, these last five words, um, those aren't the be-all, end-all. That's just an example. That's like just taking an example of what he, it's over. It's a whole lot more than that, right? So what God creates, don't miss this, what God creates, God also sustains. The central point of the doctrine of providence is the stress of God's government on the whole universe. He rules his creation with absolute sovereignty and authority. He governs everything that comes to pass, from the greatest to the least. Nothing ever happens that is beyond the scope of his providential government. The Bible says that the lot is cast, but the decisions of the Lord, right? In a universe governed by God, you know what that means? That means there is no chance. There's not even a such thing as chance. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as fortune. All these things that we use are because we can't control them. But in the universe ruled by God, that is not the case. Now with, with that as a definition, and this is where it's going to get good, what is the goal of God's providence? I mean, why, here's, here's what I'm asking is, why would he sustain what he created? Why wouldn't he act more like we do when in the spring we start our garden and then it just ends up a big pile of weeds at the end of the year? You know what I'm saying? What is the goal of providence? Well, we, we read the goal right here in the Westminster Confession. It is the praise of his glory. He provides for what he creates for the praise of his glory. God could have created the world 
let it go and let things dilapidate like we do in our gardens. Those springtime aspirations end up a tangle of weeds. But why would God preserve his creation? Is there a reason why? I want you to take your Bibles now and turn to Ephesians 1. I want you to think. These are questions that most of us probably don't think about, but they're going to be so helpful for us. Please think about this passage of Scripture that we read in Ephesians 1 as we work through it. We're going to begin in verse number 4. The Bible says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for the adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, and to the praise of His glorious grace. Now, if we walk through the logic of this passage, these verses tell us, A, that God chose people before the foundation of the world. That means before it was created, right? Before creation, He chose the people. Why did He choose them? What does it say? What's the that? That we should be holy and blameless. So if you were saved, you were saved to be holy and blameless. We understand that, right? But that's not the end. Look at the next verse. The next verse provides destiny. Before the creation of the world, he what? Predestined. That's the logic. This was all planned before there was an earth. And what is the destiny according to these verses? Adoption. Adoption. One theologian said this, said that our being chosen carries with it a God-given destiny. Isn't that great? We have a God-given destiny that was planned before creation. This is exciting. If you are saved, God planned before creation. He had a destiny for you. And we're going to see what that is. We're going to keep working through that. You have a purpose. You have a high and lofty and mighty purpose. And what is that plan? What is that plan? Well, it says, through Jesus Christ, God's elect will receive adoption for what? His, to the praise of His glorious grace. And so the goal of all of this is the praise of His glorious grace. Now let me ask again, what is the ultimate goal of the entire plan of salvation? It is that God would be praised for the glory of His grace. Everyone who has been saved is saved for a purposeful destiny that forever and ever and ever we will praise the glory of His grace. That really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Because what do we do? We always think of ourselves as insignificant, don't we? Ah, uh, Lord, I don't know why you would listen to me. I'm just this. Or I know this person's far more important, has far more ministry than me. Or this, whatever we do, we're always comparing to one another. And that, and I understand that that impulse. But the fact of the matter is. If God saved you, He saved you specifically 
so that you forever will praise the glory of His grace. That's exciting to me. Now, Paul's not satisfied with mentioning the praise of His glory just once. Two more times he does it in chapter number 1. Look at verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12 mention the providence of God. Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, and here's that destiny again, predestined. So once again, we have a destiny with a purpose, and what follows next is providence. Listen to the providence of God here. According to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In other words, He's a king, and he has a will, and so what is he going to do? He's going to see to it that that will is accomplished. Do you see how that's providence? He sees to it that that will is accomplished. Now, what do we have so far? Before the foundation of the world, God predestined us to an inheritance, which means he, listen, personal application, he is going to provide everything that we you and I need to obtain that inheritance. For what purpose? Next verse. Here's the so that. There's the purpose clause. So that we, who were the first to hope in Jesus Christ, might be, notice the word is be, that we might be to the praise of His glory. Our existence as Christians is for the praise of His glory. Now, Paul can't help himself. He has to say it another way. Verse number 14. He goes on to say that the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of our inheritance. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. So God's going to see to it. How does He see to it? The fact that you and I are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That puts a whole new spin on the verse, um, he who began a work, good work in you will also complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, right? Doesn't it? Now let me, let me try to summarize this part. We exist so that he can give us an inheritance in order to praise his glory. One person put it this way. Um, God's goal from before creation was that what we are and what we have would give rise to the praise of His glory. Now, do you believe that? That's just plain old Scripture. Then don't you think that the sovereign King of the universe will provide for you until you reach that goal? Now, put that in relation to whatever magnificent problem you have going on in your life right now. Right? Now, um, if you look at the, the verses, Paul tells us that we are redeemed through the blood of Jesus and forgiveness according to the riches. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you. Circle back around to verse number 6 with me. Verse number 6, because there's a word I left out. The beginning of the verse says this. Beginning of verse number 6 says, to the praise of His glorious what? So it's not to the praise of His glory. It's 
to the praise of the glory of His grace. Now we need to think about that word for just a minute. Please engage with what Scripture's saying because this is going to be one of these things when we develop it that I think argues against common misunderstandings that Christians have about the Christian life. And I'll get to it in just a minute. We are not chosen, predestined, and adopted for the praise of His glory, but rather the praise of the glory of His grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is God being merciful to people who do not deserve it. Giving them what they do not deserve. But now, remember, verse number 6 is in the context of before the foundation of the world. There was no sin yet because there were no undeserving people before the foundation of the world. Now, if you look at the next verses, Paul tells us that we are redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiveness, and it says, according to the riches of His grace. So, think about this. Even before there was a creation, even before there were people, even before there was sin, God planned that the goal of His providence is the praise of the glory of His grace. Now, let me say it another way this is the implication even before there was a world god planned to permit sin and that's where um, the bible fights against common um, conceptions in christianity that sin is some kind of thing that interrupted god's plan it's not it was planned and and permitted before the foundation of the world. God planned, and that's the goal of providence, is the praise of the glory of His grace. And so, this doesn't sound right to us, does it? Why would God plan to permit sin before He even created the world? Well, turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 9. 2 Timothy 1, 9. I want to show you another verse that says, that uh, shows a similar idea. 2 Timothy 1.9 God saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of His what? His grace. And when did He give that grace? He gave us in Christ before the ages began. Before time began God gave us Christ and the grace that goes, accompanies it. God gave grace in Jesus Christ before the ages begin. Before there was a creation, God decreed, listen, God decreed that Christ would shed His blood for sinners before He ever created a world. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross is central to His plan before there was ever a world. Let me give you one more verse. Revelation 13.8. You don't have to turn there. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Talking about the beast, the, the, the idol. Everyone whose name has not been written since when? Before the foundation of the world. In the book of life of what? The lamb who was slain. That's the important part. The lamb who was slain. Before the foundation of the world. 
God ordained that Jesus Christ would be slain for the sins of everyone. Sin, the cross, and salvation were never an afterthought to God. They were central in God's plan of creation. Now remember what we're doing. I'm showing you that God planned to permit sin. Now that's just hard for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? Could God have created a world whereby sin never entered? Oh, definitely. Can God choose to permit or not to permit sin? He's, he's God. When you sin, he chose to permit that sin. Does he ever stop it? Absolutely. You can turn here if you want, Genesis 20 and verse number 6. I'll show you one instance of this. Genesis 26, this is God talking to the pagan king Abimelech. Abimelech doesn't even know God. God came and talked to him. Abimelech wanted Abraham's wife. Remember, Abraham lied, so he permitted that sin. Well, she's my sister. It was a half, half truth. So, In Genesis 20, verse number 6, God said to Abimelech um, in a dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And listen, it was I who kept you from sinning. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. See, God can plan to permit sin, and God can plan to stop sin. That's hard, isn't it? This means that God planned to permit the fall. And I, I think the implication of that, um, think of the implication of that. Does God hate sin? He does. Not only does he hate sin, does sin dishonor God? Can you imagine a God that allows something that he hates and allows something to dishonor him? He planned that to permit that before the foundation of the world. Mind-boggling, isn't it? I mean, we don't, we don't want to plan to permit anything that <laughs> displeases us, right? Cold weather being one of them. <laughs> I know some of you like it. I'll pray for you. <laughs> sin dishonors him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A necessary byproduct of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. So God planned to permit sin and everything that goes with it. Death, suffering, disease, all of it. Turn to Romans chapter number 8. You guys are very familiar with this. Uh, Romans 8, verse number 20. Romans 8, 20. There's a definite consequence to sin and suffering. For the creation was subjected, this is verse number 20, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Groaning creation has been groaning with the pains of childbirth. Ladies, let me ask, is childbirth pleasant? It's not. God chose to permit sin 
with all the groanings of pain that goes along with it. For thousands of years, creation has been groaning to the horrors of diseases, human atrocities, natural disasters, the psychological consequences of sin. But someone said, these things are a parable of the unspeakable evil of belittling God by the rebellion of our heart. We, we um, rebel against God and it's unspeakably horrible, so therefore we have unspeakably horrible things that happen in our, in our lives. Now, I'm going to wrap all this up. And like I said, this is setting the stage. I, I'm, I'm setting the table for the banquet that we're going to have next couple times, okay? But these are important for us to think about and hopefully there are some things that we brought out today already that you haven't been in the habit of thinking about, but these are very important. Now, on the night that he died, Jesus prayed this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Now, where would that be? Heaven. For what purpose? To see my glory that you have given me because you love me from when? Before the foundation of the world. God the Father. Now this is what I want you to see. This is, a, this is wedding language. If you trace all the way back from the Old Testament, you will see that um, the bride, the father of the groom, is the one who chooses and gives the bride to the son. Right? So, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, his bride, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. So God the Father gave his son a bride before the foundation of the world with the primary purpose that that bride may see the blazing glory of Jesus Christ. And yes, we will see the spiritual realm with spiritual eyes. My sweet wife is seeing it right now. One of the byproducts, by the way, of this is that that has caused me, I think to myself, she sees the blazing glory of Christ. How much of his glory can I see right now before I get there? Because that's what we're called to do. Even though um, our minds are darkened by sin, the Bible says we see through a glass darkly, we can begin to see the glory of Christ the risen Christ more each day. And that's what we should desire. And that's what God wants to happen. And that's why we are studying this. I want you to see just one small dimension of the blazing glory of Jesus Christ. If I could just communicate that to you. And so I want to give you one truth and three principles. One truth and three principles to take home. Number one, we are saved to see and praise the glory of God's grace. I, don't, I think if you missed that, you slept through the sermon. <laughs> we are saved to see and praise the glory of God's grace. Now here's the principle then. The clearer and fuller our sight of Christ's glory is, the more we will be transformed into its likeness. In other words, you have to look at Him to become like Him. When I was in uh, college, I took quite a number of psychology courses. One of the psychology, in one of the courses I took, they noted that children 
of alcoholics or children of abusive parents or you know what those kind of um, mess up households um, and I'm sorry if you if you've been in one of those I don't I'm not taking that I'm not making derogatory you know what I mean when I do that right okay the, there are two different mentalities that you could track one child might say I hate the way my dad was and they spend their whole adult life focused on how their dad was and you find often that their pattern is that they fall right into that same behavior. But then they attract other people who say, I hate the way my dad was, and so I'm going to be different. And they would take their minds a different direction and not think about their dad, but think about good things and, and ways that they can improve. And there was a marked difference in the people in adulthood. And that principle holds true here. We all with unveiled face. So our face is unveiled now, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image. What image? The glory of Jesus Christ. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so, my challenge to you, first of all, is gaze in the glory of Jesus Christ every day, every day somehow, through Scripture reading, through sermons, or whatever it is, gaze at the glory of Jesus Christ because that's how you change into being like Him. If we're made to praise the glory of Christ for eternity, then our daily purpose here is to, is to uh, behold His glory now. Second principle. Transformation into the likeness of Christ results in our consistently reflecting Christ. In other words, when we look at Christ and then we start becoming like Christ, what we do is we reflect His glory. Theologians say that this is how we fulfill the command that the earth will be filled with His glory. Numbers 14.21 says, But truly, as I live, and as the um, earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord... Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. And you know what he's talking about? In part, one of the aspects of it is the earth is going to be filled with people who reflect His glory. That's what God wants. Principle number three. Final transformation occurs instantly. And that's what I'm waiting for. Instantly at Christ's second coming. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not appeared. In that interesting language? What we will be has not appeared. But we know that when He appears, there it is, what will we be? We will be like Him. When? When He appears. We shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. We can't see Him as He is. Yet. Isn't that a wonderful promise? I desire to be like Christ and I, I lament the ways that I'm not like Christ. But I'm trying. Let me recap. The goal of providence, the providence of God, is for the children of God to praise the glory of His grace forever and ever and ever. And so even as we are not on earth, or I'm sorry, 
even as we are on earth but not of it, we daily set our eyes on the author and finish of our faith, and therefore we are not anxious about any earthly thing. Why? God will provide. God will see to it. We serve an amazing God, don't we? Lord, may we meditate on these truths. We walk in here with anxieties and worries and things that trouble us. But Scripture clearly teaches us that you're the God who will provide. He will see us through because, Lord, you want us for all of eternity to praise the glory of your grace. And we confess, Lord, that we do not have eyes like we should and hearts like we should. And so I pray that our eyes will begin beholding your glory that we will be transformed into the image of Christ so that we can reflect the image of Christ to a greater degree so that one day, in an instant, we are completely changed to be just like Jesus Christ and praise Him forevermore. In His name we pray. Amen.